end of a series. There's this week and next week, uh, last two weeks, of a series called Dangerous Faith. Uh, and in it, we're looking at the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the birth of the church. We know all about church. There's lots of different denominations and down through history, the way it's impacted things. The book of Acts in the Bible is the birth of the church, the very beginnings of it. And we're going to be looking at a particular uh, passage today. But as we get into this, I just wanted to flag up a couple of things. So we're going to turn to the Bible now. So if you've got a Bible, do open it in front of you. If you haven't, don't worry. Some words will come up on the screen. But we're not going to read a chunk right up front because we're going to read various bits as we go through. But I'm going to pray, asking that God would speak to us as we come to the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that throughout history, you've done amazing things in your church and through your church. Lord, we, we know that your church is made up of weak people like us, and there is much that we've got wrong down through history. And yet, Lord, we see evidence of how you've worked, and so we simply pray as we come now again to look at the Bible, Lord, would you speak to us? Change us, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't know if you heard the story a few years ago uh, about an unnamed Dutchman in 2014 who went to extraordinary lengths to propose to his girlfriend. The extraordinary length was he was going to get a crane, hiring a crane to then literally drop him into his girlfriend's back garden as a surprise to then say, will you marry me? It was in the town of Eselstein. Any Dutch people will be able to correct me. Unfortunately, it didn't quite go according to plan as the crane was incorrectly balanced and literally tippled, tippled, toppled over onto the neighbor's house, thereby massively damaging it and at, according to the journalists they weren't sure as to whether actually the house would actually survive at all and they may need to completely destroy it. Fortunately no one was injured and you'll be pleased to know she said yes. And it was brilliant how one of the police officers that was navigating it um, uh, basically said to them they had a trip to Paris planned, and the police told them that there was no reason to cancel it. So she said yes, they went on holiday, leaving the neighbors to pick up the pieces. Well, as we continue this series called Dangerous Faith, it can be easy, and this is a very tenuous link, but bear with it, it can be easy in life, can't it, to miscalculate, to get things just a little bit wrong. And if you've been at Riverside over the last little while where we've been looking at this series, it can be easy to have got our ideas wrong about the Christians in those days because we listen to the stories of how they were opposed for their faith, persecuted for following Jesus, and they endured so faithfully. And it can be easy to miscalculate and think they were some sort of superheroes. And so we read passages and we think about little old me with little old my life and it seems a million miles away from where we are. And we feel a weight of burden 
of a crane crashing down on our lives, of something more we have to do. We have to endure more. Because we miscalculate what was really going on. And we put them on a pedestal and say, if only I could be as faith-filled as they were, but I feel I can't. It's just another burden I need to do in my life. My hope today as we look at Acts chapter 9, that we don't feel a sense of burden to be superheroes, but we simply discover a growing sense of freedom and release and, dare I say it, excitement about following Jesus, about the potential of your little old life with your little old issues that God can do incredible things. You see, right at the beginning of the book of Acts, we read this verse. Do you remember it? This is, if you like, the framework, uh, the, the setting the scene, books, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. As Jesus says, he's come back to life and he says to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. They're in Jerusalem. Jesus says, stay here. The Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to be my witnesses all across this city, all across the region, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And the message spreads, and that's the book of Acts, what Jesus does through normal people by the power of the Spirit, spreading this message out. And then we get to Acts chapter 6. At the end of this chapter, after all sorts of crazy things happened, Pentecost happened, loads of amazing things, people have been healed. And we read this. It's a kind of key chapter break, if you like. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples were in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to faith. So what Jesus promises right at the beginning, by the end, middle of Acts chapter 6, we've got it. Jerusalem is ablaze, as it were, with people becoming followers of Christ. Brilliant. The message is working. Jesus was proved to be true. And then when we come to the uh, end of chapter 9, we read these words. Let me read it. Acts 9, 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So the church has grown in Jerusalem, and now by the midway, chapter 9, you've got the church grown where? In Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. What did Jesus say? The message will be spreading to Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So now it's spread through Judea and Samaria. And so this passage, chapter 9, comes in this moment. The good news of Jesus has gone out beyond the city of Jerusalem to the region of Judea and Samaria. And the question for us is this. The church is growing, brilliant, but what was going on to make the church grow? Because we're a church and we want to impact our city because we're convinced of the good news of Jesus. And so what were they doing that we might do so that actually this city and maybe even the region of the West Midlands and beyond might see more and more people encouraged by the Holy Spirit and becoming part of the church and becoming followers of Christ? What was it? Because the reality is it is really easy to build a church. It really is easy to build a church. I love this quote from Andy Stanley. Here it is. If bigger is your goal, just start promising things in Jesus' name. Religious people love that stuff. 
We could build a massive church by saying, you come along, we'll give you 10 pounds. There'll be loads of people who would come. It's easy to build a church if we just promise whatever people want to hear and put flashing lights and bells and whistles on it. But of course, that's not what they were doing. So what was it about what they were involved with, this new momentum that was taking place, where there was genuine transformation, genuine growth, as people were convinced by the message of Jesus? And I think there's four things for us, four things about this good news, that whoever you are, however much you know about Christianity, whatever your experience in the past about church, whatever you're going through right now, whatever the sense of expectation or the sense of burden, whatever the pain in your life, whatever your fears for the future, there are four things, I think, here, four good things about the message of Jesus that make a difference right now for you. And to help us, I'm going to show you this image. This image is in this book. It's by a Korean artist called Yong Sung Kim, and it's literally just called Jesus Calling. Uh, I'm not a big fan of this kind of art, if I'm honest, but I quite like this one. And it's basically, if you can't quite see it because of the screen, it's taken from beneath the water with a slightly fuzzy-looking Jesus that you can't quite see reaching down into the water to get you. It's a real picture of the lengths that Jesus will go to for you with the weight of waves that are currently crashing over you. And the powerful thing is that he's not waiting for you to come to him He's reaching into your mess to yank you out. I remember years ago, I had the privilege of being in, uh, in America, and we were doing some whitewater rafting. Great fun. Something I'm rubbish at, but enjoyed it. Halfway through, our boat almost flipped over, and I was falling out into the water until I felt this strong hand from somebody who clearly knew what they were doing, grabbing my life jacket and literally yanking me back into the boat. I was completely powerless, helpless, but I was so thankful for that hand. Whoever you are this morning, whatever you're going through, Jesus is yet extending his hand this morning for you, saying, come on. So four things, four things. The first thing about this message of good news that changed the world is that it is a message that transforms lives and it can transform your life. Let me read to you Acts chapter nine, verse 19. So you may know the story of of the guy called Saul who used to persecute Christians. He hated them, tried to kill them, did kill some. But then on a road to Damascus, he's traveling to go and wipe out some more Christians. Jesus himself appears to him and transforms his life. And so then Saul goes and gets his life sorted out because he goes to a place called a person called Ananias, who basically says, Jesus has got a calling for your life. 
And so we read verse 19 to 22. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, in verse 15 of chapter 9, we get this. Ananias is terrified because he's about to speak to Saul, the one who was wiping out Christians. And God basically says to him, this man, this this Saul that you're terrified of meeting is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. So go and speak to him. And so Ananias speaks to him and says these words, Brother Saul, in verse 17, the Lord, the Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Spirit. And so Saul is transformed as God impacts his life, changes his whole way of thinking. And he moves from being somebody who was a persecutor to being a proclaimer. And he would go way more than 500 miles. Boom, boom remember the proclaimers it's a poor joke I know but he's transformed by seeing Jesus and his now life means a different trajectory so verse 21 all those who heard Saul preaching were astonished and asked isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem And now here he is talking about Jesus. Something had happened in his life. Jesus had been there and literally gone in and grabbed him from his old way of life and said, I've got you. You're on a different path now. Friends, this is good news. Whoever you are this morning, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, he is in the business of changing lives. Paul thought that he was on the right path. He was passionate about it. He was zealous. It's interesting, isn't it, how often people who are convinced they're right will do anything to destroy those who differ from them. And yet God himself stepped him, yanked him out and said, I've got a different plan, Paul. And the encouragement for us today is that God is still in that business today. Your life, your circumstances, your fears, your doubts, your hopes, your dreams. It's the same Jesus who is alive, reaching in. I could have, in that life raft, in that life rafting, I could have fought the hand off and said, no thanks, I'll try and swim it on my own. Fortunately, the hand was way stronger. And the same, of course, true for us. We can reject Jesus, walk away, or we can simply say, please change me. Fill me with your spirit. Give me that hope. And the encouragement is that God can find anyone. So if you're a follower of Jesus, there may be people in your world, in your life, that you have prayed for for years. You've sobbed tears, and those tears have now gone dry because you've got nothing left. God can even still today reach that person, whether it be a partner, a friend, a colleague, a parent, a a child, whatever it may be. And maybe even today for some of us, we just need that sense of encouragement again. I can keep praying, please, God, please, please. 
And of course, the other encouragement is that God can find anybody at any time. So that person at work that is making your life a misery, that person in your family who you'd love to come to know Jesus and find full faith, who is causing you real frustration because they keep ridiculing. God can change lives all across the planet as he is doing. So it's an encouragement, isn't it, to pray, to pray, to pray. The good news of Jesus is so different from all other worldviews or religious systems because it's not us reaching up to God by the way we live our lives, the things we do, the prayers we pray, the religious duty we do, or whatever it might be. It's God reaching to us and us just simply letting him. So we can keep praying. So God's in the business of changing lives even today. Great news. That's the first thing about this message. The second good bit of news is that this is a message that challenges lives. Let me read to you what happens immediately after the verses we read. Verse 23 of Acts chapter 9. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill Paul, Saul. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. I don't know if you know who this man is. Anyone want to guess, Anyone want to guess who this man is? Henry T. Ford, well done, Harry, that's good. That's good, showing your, showing your roots there. Yeah. Of course, Henry Ford also invented this car, which is the T Model T Ford. The first mass-produced car that made way for all the cars we have today and famously available in every color, as long as it's black and all of those sort of things. But the famous quote attributed to him is this. If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. We don't always know what's good for us. And of course, Henry T. Ford made a different way that would have been ridiculed at the time, just as TV was ridiculed and just as the internet will never catch on and just as iPhones will just, you know, a bit expensive, all those sort of things. We don't often know, do we, what is good for us. I'm not saying all those things are good for us. That's a different discussion, but you know what I mean. And authentic transformation in people's lives is often opposed, is often rejected or even persecuted. And that was certainly true of Saul. So much so that the one who was out to kill people now becomes the one for whom they want to kill. Because they've seen the transformation in his life and frankly they don't like it. Why? Because it threatens their very way of life. Can I remind you that if you're here this morning and you're not sure if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're beginning to investigate things and you know there's something more to life but you're not quite sure how it fits and lots of questions. Jesus, if you become a follower of Christ, will wreck your life. He will. 
your old ways will no longer be the same. Everything will be different from now on. And of course, if you're anything like me, actually that's quite good. Because I know there's so much in my life that needs to be transformed, that needs to be ruined. And so if you think becoming a follower of Jesus is a safe, easy, comfortable thing, you're wrong. (laughs) Everything will change. Everything. And of course, in that, there's real hope and real joy, which is fantastic. But of course, some people around may not like it and may find it unsettling for you. There may be family members or friends or colleagues when they see you've become a follower of Jesus that actually things are different. Your attitudes have changed. You don't have the same banter you used to. or Your priorities are now different. Or the way you spend your money or the, the things you do with your time are different. It's not like you used to be. Because the old is gone and the new has come. I remember when I was at university, um, I was in a room at one point where there were things going on in this room that were not strictly legal. Things being passed around this room that were not strictly legal. Uh, And I simply passed it on. I was a follower of Jesus. And I simply passed it on. And one of my mates got really angry at me and shouted at me. What are you doing? Why not? And then another of my mates, who's brilliant in this sort of slightly stone stupor, then attacked him for attacking me. And so I've watched this argument between two of my mates about the fact that because I was a Christian, I wasn't taking part in these things that they were doing, and how dare he, but the other one's saying, leave him alone, that's his right, that's why he's a Christian. In other words, the way that was being, life was being lived was being noticed and causing offense to some, but impacting others. And so this message of Jesus does challenge all of our lives, but of course as we follow Christ, the lives of those around us. The word persecuted literally just means to be pursued, to be chased. And it's fascinating, isn't it? That Saul now is chased out of the city, being lowered out in a basket how things have changed. He would have before ridden into a city as the strong man. And now he's having to go away as the unpopular man. Why? Because he's on a different trajectory now. Because he knows the good news of Jesus is worth this. So this message changes lives. This message challenges lives. But the third thing is this is a message that takes all sorts. All sorts. Leave this picture back up again. Verse 26. So Saul gets out in the basket. And when he came to Jerusalem, verse 26 of Acts chapter 9, he tried to join the disciples. I love this. He tried to join the church. How about this for a welcome team? But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. You can imagine them on the door of the church. Saying, they saw. Quick, close the door. No, we're closed. Turn lights off. Shh. But then we read verse 27. I love it. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Good old Barnabas. And imagine if Barnabas hadn't done that role. 
Imagine if Saul had been there banging on the doors trying to get into the church, but because they're terrified and don't like him. Imagine if Barnabas had never performed that act. History would have been so different. And the beautiful thing about that is, Acts chapter 4 reminds us that Barnabas isn't even his real name. His name is Joseph, and he's from Cyprus. So he's an outsider. He's not even from Jerusalem. And he's not even known by his real name. In other words, in God's goodness, he uses somebody who's a bit of an outsider who don't even really know his real name. In other words, he's not a big deal to play arguably the single most important role in the early church of, let me introduce to you, Saul. And I think that's a massive encouragement for all of us today because I would guess most of us read things like this and say, I'm not like Saul. To be honest, I'm terrified of heights if they tried to lower me in a basket. And yet, maybe we can be a bit like a Barnabas. Maybe there are things that I can do, even if I can't get up in front of the synagogue and tell everyone about Jesus. Actually, I do know that in my life right now, I know what God has done, and so therefore there are things that I can do. No wonder Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. Parents, the greatest impact you have with your life may be just in the way you bring your children up as they go on to change history or as they have children who have children who have children in 200 years' time who change history. You never know. In your workplace, you never know just the way that you're faithfully praying for somebody or being a support to them and they know you're a follower of Jesus and then one day you never know they might simply say, can you help? You never know. Here at Riverside, you never know if you're involved in the children's church team right now, faithfully serving away, helping our children and young people to know more about Jesus. You never know the impact that weekly faithful care does. For the people on the welcome team, you never know the impact as when you say hi, morning, welcome to church, we'll have to somebody who's beaten down, broken, and just a smile is all they needed for the next stage of life. For the people involved in setup and for the people doing the PA so faithfully, all these cables out, you never know that plugging that wire in may enable one person today to hear something that changes history. You just don't know. It takes all sorts, this message including you. It's good news. So that through you and your faithful just trying to follow Jesus, Jesus may reach in in somebody's life and grab them. And then finally, it's a message that changes lives, challenges lives. It's a message that takes all sorts, including you. And it's a message that spreads. What happens as Barnabas introduces Saul to the Christians in Jerusalem, he's welcomed in. Then we read verse 28 of Acts chapter 9. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. How is it that people hear about Jesus? How is it that people understand the God who is reaching down to grab them? Well, they hear a message and people simply faithfully keep on telling that message. Paul boldly 
shares it in Jerusalem and beyond. And again, you might be thinking, I was not like Saul. I'm not a preacher. But can I encourage you, you've got your story. Your story is unique. And therefore, God has worked, if you're a follower of Jesus, in your life in ways that he hasn't done in anyone else's life in all of history. And therefore, you can simply tell your story to your friends, to your family members, to your colleagues. Just sharing a little bit of of why you are a follower of Christ. Why it is you go to that place on a Sunday morning. Why it is you go to a school hall and sit in Sunday morning when you could be in bed. Well, it's actually because Jesus changed my life, let me tell you. And through that, the message spreads about this good news of a God who reached in to grab as many as possible to save. So can I ask you, what's your story? What's your unique story of what God has done in your life? Because it is unique and it is a miracle. And you know what? People can disagree, but they can't disagree as they hear you tell your story and see the changes made in your life. And through that, the good news spreads throughout Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth, even to a little city in Britain, in a school hall 2,000 years later on, in a place called Birmingham. So as I come to a close, what's our response to all this? And if you're anything like me, The response is one of real honesty where we say, God, I want to play my part. I want to be involved in this. I'm beginning to realize it's not about me. This is good news. Thank you. But God, can you just restore that sense of passion and excitement and energy about just how good this good news really is? And so as I invite the band up, we're going to respond together. And what I'm simply going to do is to pray for those of us who, as it were, want to be reawakened in just how good this good news really is. Maybe it's the the kind of familiarities of church have become normal and routine, or the pressures of life have just weighed down so heavily that we've lost that same sparkle and that same passion. Or it might be for some of us, we're not sure whether we really are Christians, but today we've had a glimpse that this is good news that, and we've begun to see that picture that Jesus is reaching out for you. Well, there's an opportunity for all of us to simply say this morning, please God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And we're going to do it in a particular way. I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to invite those of us who want to to say, want to say to God, please, Fill me with your joy. Fill me with your passion for this good news. And for some, that will be the first time ever. For others, we'd have done this countless times. But then I'm going to simply invite those of us in that boat to stand. As it were a way of saying to God, God, please, I want to stand for you again. Reawaken my heart because it's growing cold. Does that make sense? So let's pray.
Lord God, that the message of Jesus is dazzlingly good. That it isn't about us, that we've got to do enough, that we've got to reach up. But it's that you've reached down. Lord, would you help us to then simply let ourselves be held? And for those of us for whom we've never said yes to you, please help us even now with all our questions to say yes. And for those of us who've said yes a million times to you, Holy Spirit, we simply pray, fill us again and restore to us the joy of your salvation. Thank you, Lord. So I'm simply going to ask us, if you want to say yes to Jesus, as it were, to let him reach in and grab you and to restore to you, awakening that sense of joy again for the good news of Christ. Can I invite you to simply stand? Please stand. God, you know our hearts um, and you know that right now there will be some of us in this room for whom that has been a big deal to stand. For others of us, uh, it's become another step on the journey. But you know for some of us, Lord, this is a moment right now in which our lives have turned a corner. Even now, Holy Spirit, would you give us that sense of peace 